0: We were publishing stories in Spanish, tweeting them out and sending them to our email newsletter list. And people were like, oh, it's so cool that you're doing that, but nobody was reading it. You know? So we were like, well, we have to actually build the audience and meet people where they are.
1: What if you read a deep investigative story that you know is going to have a big impact on your audience, but no one reads it? Well, it's time for you to figure out where your audience is and what's the best way for you to bring that information to them. I'm Michael O'Connell. This is It's All Journalism. Mazen Sidamed is the co-founder of Documented, a nonprofit news outlet dedicated to New York City's immigrant community. He's here to share how Documented is growing engagement and fighting misinformation on WhatsApp. Welcome to the podcast, Mazen. How are you doing?
0: I'm good. I'm good. Happy to be here.
1: Okay, well, first of all, tell me a little bit about your background. How'd you get involved in uh, journalism and end up with Documented?
0: Oh, that's that's quite a story. So I I had a previous life as a software engineer a long time ago and always had like a a passion for journalism, but thought that maybe I could moonlight as a a hip-hop journalist for many years, but decided that I really wanted to do this full-time. So I ended up moving to Beirut, Beirut, Lebanon, My family was living there at the time and decided to pursue journalism full-time there. And I worked at a small English-language newspaper as my first job called the Daily Star. And while I was there, I mainly covered the fallout from the Syrian civil war in Lebanon. So a lot of stories about the Syrian refugee crisis. Lebanon has a population of 4 million and and has accepted more than a million Syrian refugees. There was just a myriad of, of consequences to that. So I was covering a lot of those issues and came to the, to the U.S. a few years ago and ended up working at The Guardian U.S. and worked at Politico briefly. And throughout my time living here and being based here, I'd covered migration, originally mainly through the lens of Western Americans, you know, Surveillance of Muslim Americans and, you know, the post 9-11 infrastructure in, in the U.S. has meant that Muslim Americans' immigration status is often weaponized against them in different ways. So while I was at The Guardian, I, I covered that and maintained an interest in it. And then in 2018, I was talking to my friend, Max Wilbaum, and, you know, we were seeing, sorry, in 2017, we were seeing the aftermath of, the, of Trump's election. And how immigration coverage really began to ramp up and was being focused on two main areas, the border and Washington, DC, you know, all the different policy shifts that were happening there. But there were these huge changes happening in American cities, you know, the ramp up of immigration enforcement, the ways in which the policies that were being set in DC were first hitting people living in major cities like New York and, and other places. So we originally were going to do a project just kind of, you know, talking about this immigration enforcement shift, but um, got the opportunity to get a grant to launch a newsroom. So we thought, why don't we take this project and create a sustained newsroom providing local immigration coverage? And that's how Documented came about. And we launched in 2018. And yeah, now we're here and I'm talking to you.
1: So tell me, you know, a little bit about Documented. What's its focus? I mean, who do you see as the audience for uh, your coverage?
0: Great. So Documented covers New York City's immigrants and the policies that affect their lives broadly. So one of the main things we knew when we were starting out is that, you know, people who work on this issue professionally are going to gravitate towards our work instantly. So, you know, immigration lawyers, advocates, policymakers, things like that, people who are really hungry for this type of work. And, you know, are already kind of looking in the different information circles on Twitter. They're going to find that work really easily. But the other issue that we had is, you know, when I was a reporter in Lebanon, would go to a Syrian refugee camp, go back to the office, write a story, and there'd be no connection or communication with the person who was the protagonist of that story. And that always really bothered me. You know, the story was published in a language, they didn't speak. And it felt like, you know, this person had been so vulnerable with me. And really given so much of their time to speak with me that it it felt quite extractive that I was no longer you know having any communication with them afterwards and immigration reporting generally is like that you know as as a form immigration reporting can be extremely extractive so we really wanted to break that cycle and we wanted to make sure that the people who are affected by our stories were also the people reading our stories So you know the focus of the stories was was also the audience. And we started off by thinking this was going to be really easy. We just translate our stories into other languages and people will find it and it will we'll just go from there. But that wasn't the case. You know, we translated the first our first couple of stories into Spanish and, you know, we got a lot of plaudits from other people and media, but we looked at the statistics and nobody was reading them. So we ended up partnering with this New York University class taught by someone named Kim Bodie. And the focus of her class was reporting with communities. Like, how can you not report on communities, but with communities? So she actually basically used our website as a kind of reporting project for the students that year. And they all broke off into groups where they each focused on an individual community And they had to come up, find out what that community's information habits and kind of information diets were. So you had people that were focused on Liberian immigrants. You had people that were focused on H-4A visa holders. You had people who were focused on immigration lawyers just as as a community. And then there was one pair focused on undocumented Spanish speakers in New York City. And when it started, I thought that that's just so broad, like there's so many different subsets within that community that they're not really going to get anywhere. But they were really just incredible and intuitive and really innovative pairs, and Nicholas Rios and Aldana Valles. And they did a really good job and basically came to us and said, look, from our research, we found that people find undocumented Spanish speakers that we spoke to find, you know, a lot of immigration reporting, really alarmist, puts them as the kind of victim in a lot of these stories. There's no kind of centralized place where people can get information on resources that they want to access. And that most of the people were getting information via WhatsApp in informal communities. And we kind of, we already knew that as a sense, but you know, this was just further validation of that. So they were like, why don't we do a WhatsApp newsletter where we kind of distribute our information via WhatsApp. And we started doing that. January 2019, and it's just pretty much revolutionized our entire approach to journalism, that project in and of itself. And we've really kind of re-engineered our newsroom to be focused from the ground up. The mission that we had initially in mind of making sure that the readers, the people that are most affected by our stories were also our readers. We didn't really fully understand, I think, what it took to realize that until we actually started doing this listening work and this engagement work. And now we've, we're finally reaching a place where that's true, and also we're building a securities relationship where people are actually feeding us information that's the source of stories, and we're feeding it back to them as the readers, and it's, it's become a lot more organic. So, yeah, it's been quite a journey. So, what
1: is the type of information? I think you kind of said that they were there looking for resources. You know, I do understand that a lot of immigration reporting, as you said, is sort of reactive and it's sort of government-focused. but you know, you identified an audience that you wanted to get, what was the type of information they were
0: looking for? So the questions that we were getting, so it, it's, the pandemic has really changed a lot. So, you know, it's, it's kind of easier to think about it in a pre-pandemic and post-pandemic way. So I'd say pre-pandemic, a lot of the questions that we were getting were just immigration related. So, so, and visa types, where can I find an immigration lawyer? I'm undocumented and, you know, I have this particular issue some people wanted information about you know, ways in which so they, could, they could get work legally or if there were programs available that would allow them to work in certain sectors like for trainings that were open to immigrants. So a lot of the questions were immigration law related or kind of labor related to like being an immigrant and you know, not potentially not having papers and, and what kind of labor rights you might have. But then post-pandemic, it became just the need for our work just grew exponentially. And the number of people subscribed to the WhatsApp news service grew exponentially. We actually hired Nicolas Rios, who, who did the initial research and was kind of editing it. He came on and joined our team full time and really just spends the majority of his time focused on building the WhatsApp community and being responsive to their questions and a lot of the questions that we got at the start of the pandemic were, you know, where can I get food? You know, my, my landlord's about to kick me out. What can I do? A lot of questions about people who had come to visit New York when the pandemic hit, couldn't get out of the country and were worried about extending their visas and, and what the consequences of that would be. And then still some other kind of immigration-related questions, or sorry. I should mention healthcare access as well. Healthcare access was a big question that we got, a repeated question that we got early on in the pandemic. So we became like a rapid response unit. You know, previously the questions were such that we could, you know, go to an expert and maybe answer a few every month. But after the pandemic, we started publishing a ton of stories about answers to the specific questions that we were getting. So we get 15 questions about healthcare access. We would kind of group them into the most common questions, get an expert on that, get them to answer it, write an article, send that back to the people that uh, had asked and to the, to the list as a whole. You know, Nico did a Facebook Live event with labor lawyers where people sent in questions to ask questions about their labor rights. The same thing with housing. And as the pandemic has wore on, housing has become the most persistent thing. I think food aid was really acute and it's still really acute, potentially maybe because the city has done a better job of advertising where people can get access to food. We get less questions about it, but um, housing is just something that is so persistent. There's a moratorium in New York. It's very complicated and it isn't just a blanket moratorium on evictions. And people have a lot of questions about it. So. We've spent a lot of our time just trying to be responsive to those needs.
1: A lot of journalists who may, who may be listening to this are probably very familiar with Facebook and Twitter and try to, and, and some of the strategies around growing an audience on those two platforms. They may not be as familiar with WhatsApp. How is WhatsApp similar, the, different from those platforms, and how do you guys utilize it?
0: So it's completely different. It is hostile to publishers. And this is not a place where they necessarily want people doing the type of work that we're doing. So they don't make it easy. So we use a function on one site called the broadcast list, which basically means that we send one message, but it goes out to Nero, to hundreds of people who, from their perspective, it looks like they're having a one-on-one conversation with us. and But we've sent out like the same message maybe to multiple people, but that maintains a level of privacy. And we think, you know, as opposed to having a group where everyone can see all the messages, this allows us to kind of make people feel like they're having a private conversation But documented. It's so difficult to grow your readership on WhatsApp, you know, compared to any other platform because it's not, you know, when you post something on Instagram or you post something on Twitter, people could just find it easily. Whereas On WhatsApp, that doesn't exist, that's the whole beauty of it. You know, that's why it's so private and conversational is because you feel you're not being inundated with, you know, other people's information or something that your friend may have liked. So the beauty of it is what makes it so difficult to grow on it. We spent the first year probably just doing really kind of guerrilla marketing where we would print flyers and go to events tell people about the newsletter and try and get them to sign up. You know, they would send us a message and then we would add them to the list. Talking to people about it, asking them if they would, you know, ask, tell their members to subscribe. We did presentations at different organizations, you know, their member meetings. We went on a listening tour to different organizations and told people about it. I heard them, heard from them about their grievances as well, about the way the media covers immigrants. And yeah, this kind of grew, grew gradually. We did a Facebook advertising campaign shortly before the pandemic that was actually pretty successful in getting people to sign up. But what was really probably the most successful was when we started creating these resources in response to the questions that we were getting. People were finding those articles on search. So we would have an article that was like, you know, a Q&A about tenants rights that's published in Spanish people would be searching for those questions. They would find it, and at the first line of the article would be, you know, if you want more information like this, sign up for our WhatsApp news service. And that's where most of the people were signing up from. So if you can kind of, you know, demonstrate that, the kind of information that you're gonna be providing on the service, people will sign up for more of it. I think that's probably the best approach.
1: That sounds pretty neat. And the reason you went to WhatsApp, because that's where you saw the audience that you were trying to target, that was the, the platform that they were using to communicate
0: with. Precisely. You know, we were on Twitter and we were on email newsletter as soon as we launched. And like I said, we were publishing stories in Spanish, tweeting them out and sending them to our email newsletter list. And people were like, oh, it's so cool that you're doing that. But nobody was reading it. You know? So we were like, well, we have to actually build the audience and meet people where they are. In order to do this. So that's, that's how we ended up with WhatsApp.
1: Okay. So now you're answering questions that you're getting from the readers. You know, the more you're doing this, I mean, what type of features are you? Is it all just answering questions? Or are you able to do different types of journalism based on the information they're giving you?
0: Yeah, it's been pretty incredible actually to see what we're calling like a community based investigative journalism model kind of form as the community grows and becomes more vibrant nico is just really great at making the community feel like super personal and inviting place where people feel really comfortable to talk and share things so and you know people will sign up he'll introduce himself as nicholas and you know within three messages people are calling him nico just because it has like more of a personal feel and what's that what that's meant is that people have will share, you know, really kind of intimate details about different things that they're experiencing with us. And, you know, with the request that we write about it and uh, we tell people about it, as well as try and, you know, get them answers. So probably the first story in that vein that wasn't just, you know, getting answers to people's questions. We were getting a lot of complaints about a fund that had been created for undocumented immigrants in the city. So, this fund was supposed to replace the checks that most people had got. So, you know, the government sent out $1,200 checks to to people in the U.S., but undocumented immigrants weren't eligible for these checks. So New York City, with a lot of fanfare, created a fund to send out checks to undocumented immigrants in the city. So people wanted to apply. People were really excited about it. There was so much press coverage around it. And all the numbers they were calling just weren't, nobody was picking up, nobody was responding. They couldn't get any information anywhere. So we were like, oh, this should be easy. We'll just ask the city and they'll tell us. When we asked the city and we didn't get a straight answer from them, you know, they would say, get back to us in a month or they just wouldn't respond to our emails at all, but would respond to emails about other things. We felt like there might be something suspicious. So then we put a reporter on it and the reporter basically found out that the money was basically pre-spent. It was reserved for a certain list of organizations and the people who had associations with those organizations. and all the people that were messaging us, they never had any chance of getting the money unless they had a connection at a certain organization. So when we published the story, the city obviously was furious, but our community was like really grateful. And it was the most read story that we had done in months. You know, people really wanted this information. So it's kind of meeting this twin need of meeting people's information needs about resources that they'd like to have access to, while also producing, you know, investigative journalism that could be of interest to people who have no association with the fund, might not need money from the fund, who would be interested in how the city is operating and the kinds of the way in which the, the fund was being distributed. The other thing that's come up for us is misinformation during the pandemic. Sarah Alvarez, at Outlier media told us that we should be looking out for misinformation during the pandemic. You know there was something that they were focusing on. So we decided to ask our community if they were seeing any misinformation. and people started forwarding us rumors that they were getting in their family whatsapp group or somebody had sent them somebody sent something to them. And we ended up partnering with Univision to do kind of like a fact check of the 10 most kind of common rumors that we were seeing people forwarding us. And it did really well. We would us in English and Spanish and um, people it really resonated with people. We haven't had the bandwidth to do it as consistently as we would like. But just this morning, we got a message from somebody saying, you know, is this true? I got sent this earlier, you know, can you check this out? So um, it's something that we'd like to do more of.
1: I know that you said when you were with The Guardian and when you came to the United States, you were doing a lot of uh, reporting about Muslim immigrants. Is what undocumented doing is primarily for a Spanish-speaking audience, not that a Spanish-speaking audience can be Muslim as well, or are are you covering multiple immigrant communities or are you seeing a lot of crossover of concerns?
0: Yeah, I think that as it stands, I think a lot of the kind of information needs works that we're doing, we started off with Spanish-speaking immigrants in the city because it's just, you know, by a pretty big margin, the largest immigrant community in New York City. And we felt like that's where the need was most, you know, quickly evident. And we want to expand into other communities and start doing the kind of work that we're doing with WhatsApp. In other languages, it's just kind of a matter of bandwidth and resources at this point. But as an organization, you know, the type of reporting that we do that is maybe, you know, comes from what you might call a traditional journalism sources that is, you know, cross community. We did, you know, stories about Muslim funeral services and how they were trying to cope during the pandemic. You know, we've we've covered a wide range of issues, you know, the Muslim ban, how it's affected New York City over the past four years. We just published a piece about that a few weeks ago. So we do cover a wide range of issues, we're not limited to, to any one particular immigrant community. But we would like to kind of replicate the community-first approach that we have right now with the Spanish-speaking community in other languages. But, you know, if you want to give us a big grant, Michael, then we'll go for it right now.
1: You and me are both in the same line, uh, <laughs> so I'm not, I don't have anything more to, to give you. Uh, right. <laughs> but, you know, I, I understand that you took part in a community listening fellowship that was sponsored by our friends at the American Press Institute. Can you tell me a little about that experience and how that sort of helped uh, what you've been doing?
0: That was amazing. So I just mentioned Sarah Alvarez. She was my mentor throughout that process. And, you know, the work that Outline has done has been so informative to us. And, you know, as like uh, seeing her and how she runs her team and how they, how they run their organization has really, really helped us kind of grow as an organization as well. So, the listening fellowship was really focused on doing the exact kind of work that we're doing with WhatsApp, but trying to grow it and make it into a sustainable part of our organization. So, when we started the fellowship, so when I started the fellowship in June of 2019, I think we were probably like six months into the process. and didn't really have the kind of wind in our sails. Yeah, we were sending out messages. We'd get the occasional, oh, thank you. You know, we appreciate you doing this work. But whenever we would kind of ask people a question, a kind of broad question, what do you think about this bill that just passed? Or "Is there? Uh, do you have any questions about the upcoming midterm election? Something like that. We wouldn't get any responses. So when we started, the fellowship was... The goal was like, how do we turn this into a two-way conversation? And one of the things that Sarah came to our offices and basically led, what was sort of like a therapy session for for the team about like, you know, what we were doing on WhatsApp and like what, what direction we wanted to take it in. And from that, she realised that the problem with the service as it was was that people didn't fully understand what they were signing up for. when we told them, you know, we run this WhatsApp news service, but you know, that has immigration news on it. Originally it was just kind of the month, the weekly newsletter that went out via WhatsApp, which was just a collection of links. There would be, you know, somewhat similar to the links you want to find in our email newsletter, but mainly like Spanish versions. So she was like, well, you know, is it clear to people what they're signing up for when they do this? Like, how about we try and focus this on like one particular topic and say to people, you know, this is the newsletter that if you want information about public charge, you know, sign up for this newsletter. So we were experimenting with different ideas of like, okay, what could be our focus? or we could try a few different focuses and see how how it resonates with people. But then the pandemic basically gave us a focus. When the pandemic hit and we started releasing information and, and publishing these kinds of like Q&As in response to people's questions, people, I think, understood finally, OK, if I sign up for this new service, I, as a Spanish-speaking immigrant, am going to get information that's specifically tailored for me that's responsive to my needs and I can ask questions. And I think that proposition is really clear and. Being part of the fellowship really helped us refine that.
1: So you know, you say that the COVID provided you with a degree of focus. This has been a this has been a year of a lot of big news stories. Was your audience were they concerned at all, or do they have uh, interest in 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 stories about the protests around racial justice and the election?
0: Yeah. So we did some Q and A's, and you know. We use the stories function on WhatsApp to sometimes just ask more kind of ponderous questions, you know, asking people did they participate in the protest, and people can respond. They'll just swipe up and respond. Yeah, there was an interest. So there was a lot of fear because there was reports of ICE being at the protest and policing the protest, so there was a lot of fear around participating in the protest, but. We didn't hear any pushback from uh, readers about, you know, like a kind of negative response to the protests. We did, you know, I think with the elections, we did a citizen's agenda, and we found that, you know, people really wanted to know, you know, where the candidates stand on immigration reform and labor rights, like immigrant labor rights. Will there be a pathway to citizenship for immigrants? So... We got a lot of responses to um, when we did a kind of citizens' agenda call out, and we were at a piece. We found out all the candidates' positions and sent that back to the readers, and people were were grateful for that. But it's it's kind of hard for me to overstate how much resources are kind of valued by our community. You know, there's no analytics on WhatsApp, so we use Bitly to basically track what people will click on, and there'll be you know a story about. This new Trump policy is like the top top line. You know, another story about something major that's happening in the city that could affect immigrants, and then there'll be a link that's like, you know, here's how you can access tenant relief or what have you, and then a fourth thing about something else. Every time that third link will just outperform every other link. Like any time that we've 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 had that kind of a setup. People just gravitate instantly towards the resources and and the need I think in the city right now is just incredibly acute that um, people are really focused on that. You know, I think that people are looking for information that will really help them survive in these times. It's, it's really been people's focus.
1: I hear that. I, you know, that everybody wants the latest information about COVID and they don't have much bandwidth for what's going to happen. But I wonder, Provided everything goes like it's supposed to go and we have a new administration which, which appears to have a different policy toward immigration. Do you have any thoughts about what you're gonna be doing in the next couple of months around that?
0: Yes, I think that it's a really kind of a wait and see moment for a lot of immigration reporters. The next couple of months it's super interesting. So we our email newsletter still is very policy focused and we're writing about the daily machinations in Washington and the ways in which the Biden administration is going to try and shape its immigration policy. And it looks like it's borrowing a lot from the Obama administration as far as the way in which they're looking to to go about things and kind of revert to the Obama administration. And if that's the case, then I think they're going to face a lot of challenges, the kind of refugee crisis that's happening on the border right now the level of economic devastation that Central America has faced is only going to get worse in the coming year. So it will be a really difficult question, I think, for the Biden administration to not want to seem to be as strict as the Trump administration, you know, to have a posture that's open, but in the same time, you know, having the same kinds of policy priorities that the Obama administration had and the kind of approach the Obama administration had when it comes to you know a large number of people who would like to cross the border and seek asylum it 's going to be very difficult for them so that will be like an interesting story to follow for sure as far as our, the needs of our community locally, I think we'll probably you know people a lot of people have family members who are crossing we get people who message us you know as they're crossing the border i 'm not sure how they get uh, what 's that phone number, but you know we do get people messaging us who have just crossed the border, who are, who are planning to cross the border. So we have a connection in that sense. But as far as the New York City, um, Spanish-speaking immigrant community, the problems with housing, food insecurity, you know, labor rights, You know, we have a big, big project on wage theft that we're hoping to all be a big focus of ours next year. These issues are kind of independent of whatever administration is in D.C., so we'll continue to be focusing on that. But, you know, we still write away immigration policy, obviously. So we're watching I'm watching what's happening.
1: Yeah. You know, COVID's hanging over everything. So Exactly. And that's, from what you've described, it seems that, that that's going to be the immediate concern for your audience for, for months to come. So we've been talking about WhatsApp. We've been talking about community listening. You know, what would you, what advice would you give to a news outlet about how to, adopt sort of a a stance like you guys have when it comes to community listening and and using WhatsApp?
0: There's no quick fix. So I think that this took us like a year to really get to a place where it was the kind of engine of our newsroom and is providing the basis for all of our journalism and is, you know, a lot of our readership now as well. It's kind of brought from that but it just pays dividends. The return on investment is so high. So I really recommend taking the time to do something like what we're doing. It doesn't have to be with WhatsApp, like basically figuring out if there's an audience that you would like to reach that you feel like you're doing a disservice by not reaching, figuring out how people in that community are getting their information, understanding that, you know, you don't want this to be a one-way street where, they're just giving you information about their lives and sharing traumatic experiences. You kind of explain and provide a function that is useful to them. And then in return, oftentimes, you know, you'll get access to, to information and stories and, and an understanding of an issue that will be way more deep and way more nuanced than if you're kind of going through the usual channels, which is, you know, experts, quote-unquote experts, sorry, and um, policymakers or, you know, advocates and things like that, when you're kind of playing in those trodden, well-trodden circles, you're going to end up regurgitating a lot of the same information and news, but if you can make a real value proposition to people who are most affected by the issues that you're working on, it can pay off big time in the end as well, so I just highly recommend it.
1: It sounds like it. I've been talking to Mazen Sidamed, co-founder of Documented, about immigration reporting, uh, citizen listening, citizen listening, and using WhatsApp. Mazen, thanks for being on the podcast.
0: Thank you, Michael. I appreciate it.
1: You've been listening to It's All Journalism, a weekly podcast about the people who make the news. You can find out more about us and download past episodes at itsalljournalism.com. While you're visiting our website, why not sign up for the It's All Journalism newsletter? You'll get all the latest info about our podcast, including episode notes and news about live events and upcoming interviews. Go to itsalljournalism.com to subscribe. It takes a lot of people to create an episode of It's All Journalism. Nicole Grisco produced this episode. Amber Healy wrote our web content. Nick Dupre wrote our theme music. Emilia Brust helped with our booking. Nicholas Hunter provided a web assist. And I'm your host, Michael O'Connell. Thanks for listening.